Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, if you're like me, your first thought when you hear the word mourning will be the grief of a person who has lost a loved one. Now, the presence and the comfort of Jesus in the journey through bereavement is a treasured gift from God, but it's not what our Lord is speaking about here. In the Beatitudes, Jesus speaks about spiritual qualities that we should proactively pursue, conditions of heart that are so laden with blessing that we're to get as much of them in our lives as we possibly can. We're to go after peace, and purity. We're to pursue meekness and mercy. We're to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus is speaking here about spiritual mourning. That means genuine sorrow over sins against God. And the more that you have of this kind of mourning in your life, the more blessed you're going to be. Spiritual mourning is an art that Christians desperately need to rediscover today. And it's the key to tackling what we sometimes call habitual sin. That is a sin that a person may fall into repeatedly over a long period of time. So if a particular sin has become habitual for you, or if you describe yourself as addicted to a certain form of behavior, you need to learn all that you can about spiritual mourning. God's purpose for your life is not that you should remain stuck in a cycle of sinning and then saying sorry to God and then repeating the same behavior. Spiritual mourning will break that cycle by bringing you to a place where you grieve over your sin, see its cost, and make a decisive break from it. Spiritual mourning is of huge importance for the church today because we're surrounded by a form of faith that bears no resemblance to biblical Christianity. See, true faith that unites a person to Jesus Christ has often been replaced simply by agreeing with certain beliefs. And repentance, which in the Bible involves a change of direction, is often reduced to simply admitting that I'm a sinner and asking for forgiveness. So it's easy for people to admit being a sinner and accept Christ without ever pursuing the holiness of life to which a Christian is called. Now, the world despises this emaciated form of faith, and they're right to do that. A form of faith that leaves a person essentially unchanged is simply not worthy to bear the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God calls us to a decisive change of behavior and direction in which a person quits his sin and returns to the Lord. The Lord's foundation stands firm bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So this is foundational to biblical Christianity. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will depart from iniquity. God's people repent as we believe, and we believe as we repent. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin, and they belong inseparably together. 
But if a generation grows up with the idea that Christianity boils down to agreeing with certain beliefs, admitting that you're a sinner and asking to be forgiven, it will not be surprising to find many who count themselves Christian without ever pursuing the repentance that is central to the calling of God for all of his people. We desperately need to rediscover the joy of biblical repentance and the blessing of spiritual mourning. Let's begin with a definition. Spiritual mourning is a heartfelt sorrow over particular sins arising from humility and infused with hope that leads you to forsake these sins at the cross. Now, there are six elements in this definition. One, spiritual mourning relates to particular sins. That is, spiritual mourning always has a clear focus. It's mourning over named sins, and that's very different from grieving over a general sense of unworthiness or of failure. See, Satan loves to depress Christians with a sense of our inadequacy, but nothing good can ever come from that. How can you address a general sense of failure, unworthiness, or inadequacy? You can't. It's a dead end. Mourning over sin in general never moves you forward. It just leaves you feeling miserable. So spiritual mourning relates to specific sins, and the first step in cultivating this morning is to name one or more sins, stating them clearly, without excuse and without evasion. Now, if you're having trouble identifying one, ask someone close to you to help you. I found it helpful to ask my wife. One time I remember saying to Karen, I've been thinking about where I need to grow, and I want you to tell me one sin that you think I should be fighting against more strongly. Well, Karen paused and thought for a bit, and then she said, can I give you two? Well, we both laughed. And then she identified with great insight two areas in which I needed to grow. It was profoundly helpful. And these kinds of conversations have continued to be useful to both of us as we've tried to help each other. Second, spiritual mourning involves heartfelt sorrow. Heartfelt sorrow over a particular sin grows when you see what it costs. So take a long, hard look at the cost of this sin that you've identified to you, to others, and to Christ, and you'll enter more deeply into spiritual mourning. Begin with the cost to yourself. Think of where you might have been by now if this sin had not held you back. Consider how this sin that you've identified has limited your usefulness to Christ. Reflect on how it has dampened your worship, dulled your testimony, kept you at a distance from God. And then consider the cost of this sin to others. See, the sin that you're mourning has made you harder to live with, more difficult to work with, tougher to love. And even if your sin is in secret and others never find out, your sin is still costly to them because your sin makes you less, and that robs others of what they might have received from you. Then think about how costly the sin you are mourning was for Jesus. Jesus did not hang on the cross for sin in general, but for sins in particular, sins with names and dates and faces on them. And that means that Jesus suffered for the sin you are mourning. So naming and costing your sin will lead you into spiritual mourning. 
Third, spiritual mourning arises from humility. Now, suppose the sin you're dealing with is a deeply ingrained habit. You've often told God that you're sorry about this thing before, but you've found that it isn't long before you fall into it again. How are you going to get to spiritual mourning? Think again about the picture of the seven rings. You get to the second ring by means of the first, which is being poor in spirit. Now, once you see this pattern of progress in the Beatitudes, you will know what to do at times when you feel stuck in your Christian life. Whenever one of the rings seems beyond your reach, go back to the beginning and use the momentum you will gain from being poor in spirit to move you forward. Then fourth, spiritual mourning is infused with hope. See, there's a kind of mourning over sin that locks you into a sense of your own failure. There's no faith in that kind of mourning, and that's why it's ultimately destructive. The importance of this can be seen from the story of Judas, who was seized with remorse after he betrayed our Lord. Judas grieved over what he'd done. He looked at his sin with bitter regret, but he didn't look to Christ for forgiveness. Now, the Holy Spirit never leads a person to despair. He'll lead you to mourn over your sins, but the mourning into which he leads is always infused with hope. Then fifth, spiritual mourning happens at the cross. Now, we thought about the cross earlier when we talked about counting the cost of our sins and what they meant to Jesus. But the cross helps us in spiritual mourning in another way. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And seeing the love of Christ for you in dying for the very sin that you are mourning will strengthen you in your resolve to be done with this sin in your life. The cross shows you how much you're loved, and that love will be the most convicting power of all. You know, one glimpse of the love of Christ will do more to strengthen you in your battle against sin than any number of commitments or disciplines. All that we have spoken about is to be done at the cross, naming your sin, costing your sin, finding hope that will keep you from despair. It all happens in the light of the Son of God who loved you and who gave himself for you. And then lastly, spiritual mourning will lead you to forsake sins. I well remember when as a teenager, I first grasped that repentance means forsaking sin. I had gone to a conference in England where I heard Dr. Alan Redpath say, God has not promised to forgive one sin that you are not willing to forsake. Well, that went home to me. How could I possibly ask God to forgive me if I had no intention of quitting the sin I just confessed? How could I come to God in confession if in my heart I expected to carry on doing the same thing? See, repentance means forsaking sin. Now, in our weakness, we may often find ourselves asking God to forgive a sin into which we have fallen many times, but we can't truly ask forgiveness without a serious intent of forsaking the sin that we confess in the strength that God provides. So if a sin has become habitual in your life, or if its repeated pattern has become an ingrained addiction for you, spiritual mourning will be your key to breaking its compulsive power. 
And that's why we can speak of the blessing of spiritual mourning. Do this work of spiritual mourning thoroughly, and you will have the strength to overcome the sin that has defeated you and to forsake it at the cross. And then Christ gives us this great promise. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus knows the blessing of spiritual mourning from his own experience. Now, our Lord was without sin, so he did not have any sins of his own to mourn. But when he came into the world, he mourned over the destructive effects of sin. The Bible tells us that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He was the man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. So when you grieve over sin and its destructive power in your life, your Savior knows what that is like. And Christ came into the world to comfort all who mourn. The prophet Isaiah said that the Redeemer would come to comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Here's how Christ did it. He bore our sins and he carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now the Holy Spirit brings comfort to the person who mourns their sin by taking what Jesus accomplished on the cross and making it ours. There's a beautiful verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul lists a catalogue of sins. Some of you, he says, were drunkards, revelers, swindlers, idolaters, adulterers. That's what you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, in Christ, the spiritual mourner can say, I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed, I've been washed, and I'm justified before God. A new life has begun in me, and one day that life will be complete. And when that day comes, we'll be done with spiritual mourning, because God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. <laughs>